0: So I have a I have technology that I'm still learning how to navigate. So please bear with me. Um, let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you this morning for the privilege to look into your word. We ask that you will guide my words and my thoughts, that first and foremost, they will bring glory to you. And secondly, that it will be a blessing to everyone that is here. I ask that you will direct every facet of this uh, meeting. And that your son will be the one that is seen and not me. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. um, So, Happy New Year again. Um, So, I have a few questions before I start. How many people... I still have the old-time Bible. And then, how many people highlight their Bible? Do you highlight your Bible? And some pe- how many people underline? I mean, you might have the computer one, and then you highlight it with stuff. Now, the reason why I'm saying that is because I'm going to put up scriptures. And sometimes I underline them. Sometimes I highlight them. It's not because I disrespect the scriptures. It's just because I want to bring your attention to certain points, So don't get offended because I don't mean to cause offense. I just want to bring your mind to certain things or ideas in the scriptures that I consider important. So that's why I'm saying that. So because some might take offense, oh, you're highlighting scriptures, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't even put it on PowerPoint. So I, I just want to say that essence of that is not to cause offense but to highlight things that might be useful all right and i'm also going to sometimes pace up and down again don't get offended when i'm pacing up and down that's because it's me so we have others that stand in one place i like to pace up and down so good with that said I'd like to speak to you on the topic I started, looking onto Jesus. It's very appropriate for the new year. And uh, I don't want to recap what I said the last time, but our passage was Hebrews 12, and I was speaking about looking unto Jesus instead of yourself. And I said, I will follow up with circumstances, but in the new year I thought You know, it might be more appropriate to say why Jesus and not somebody else. So my goal this morning is to lift your eyes to the Lord Jesus Christ as you begin the new year. That's, that's, if I succeed in doing that by the grace of God, then the goal would have been achieved. So why Jesus? I'm supposed to do this, right? Yeah, Okay. Looking unto Jesus. So we begin with a passage of scripture that is Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2. It says, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus. Why Jesus? And it's answered there, the author and finisher of our faith. And Jesus makes this Bold statement. Very bold statement in the book of Revelations, chapter 22. It says, behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according to his work shall be. It says, I am the alpha. That's what I want you to remember. The alpha and omega, the beginning and the end, The first and the last. Strong words. I believe if I walked up to you this morning and said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, you'd probably be ringing 911, you know, to see where I need to be. But the Lord Jesus makes that claim. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Alpha means. Is the first letter of the Greek alphabet, and omega is the last. And it says, I am the beginning and the end, the first and the last. So it's appropriate if you are starting a new year to look to the alpha, and also as you progress during the year to look to the alpha and the omega. So it's everything in between. It means I am God. That's essentially what he's saying. So why Jesus? I have four points actually, but I figured that if I put up four points, I won't finish. So I picked two. My PowerPoint has four points. At the end of the day, at the end of the presentation, I split it into two. The other two points are discussed in the PowerPoint, but they're not going to be discussed in this message. So if you want it, you can have it. So why Jesus? Because he is the eternal God. And he's the all-sufficient God. That's why we need to look to him. All right? All right. Jesus is the eternal God. So let's go back. I like the important thing in my mind is that if you remember the word of God, remember what the scripture says, and then you bring it to memory, and then you use it, it will give you strength in your journey. And that's why we are going to be repeating the same scripture over and over again because I want you to remember the scripture. The Lord Jesus said, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. That's what he says. Is that where I'm supposed to go? Okay. So Jesus Christ is... the. Beginning and the end, Alpha and Omega, the eternal God. Now, let's try to substantiate that a little bit. Come on. Is that what I do? All right. Now, Jehovah said this in the Old Testament. A few scriptures. Um, let me just please highlight that I'm going to be highlighting many scriptures this morning. And you can listen, you can write them down, or you can just collect the PowerPoint if you want. So Jehovah said in Isaiah 41 verse 4, Who had brought and done it, calling the generations from the beginning, I, the Lord, the first, and with the last I am He. That's Isaiah. And in Isaiah 44, God says again, Thus said the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. And Isaiah 48, verse 12, he says, Hearken unto me, O Jacob and Israel, my call. I am he, I am the first, I am also the last. That's what he said in the Old Testament. God declares that, that he is the first and the last. And Jesus said in Revelation chapter 22, verse 13, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And in John chapter 8, verse 58, he says, while speaking to the Pharisees, he says, Verily, verily I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Abraham was found in the Old Testament. And Jesus said, before he was, I am. Now, what I want you to get out of this at this time is that the Jehovah of the Old Testament is the same Jesus in the New Testament. The God, the eternal God, one that has been and one that will continue to be, is the first and the last, just like Jehovah declared in the Old Testament. All right. I don't know where to point. (laughs) Okay. So let's explore a certain idea from the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews has a phrase that runs through it uh, a few times. The word is forever. 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 The book was written for people that were interested in temporary things, if you like, temples, the city, priesthood, and sacrifices. They were used to these things because this was the mode of worship, so to speak, and the mode of lifestyle. But a few things are written about the Lord Jesus Christ in the book of Hebrews that makes it clear that he is worth looking unto. That makes it clear that he is the right choice for you. So we begin with this one. We are told in Hebrews chapter one verse eight that the Lord Jesus Christ's throne is forever. That's important because we have kings that come and go. Many kings, you know, they pass it on to their children or they die no king, no earthly king has a throne that lasts forever. But the throne of the Lord Jesus Christ will last forever. Forever. So that's the first point. His throne is forever, his priesthood is also forever. The priests had one function to bring the people to God, to bring sacrifices on behalf of the people to God. That was their function. But the Lord Jesus Christ is a priest forever. In fact, he offered himself as a sacrifice for sin and then sat on the throne forever. So he's a priest forever. The next point, I've already said it, is a sacrifice is effective forever. In Hebrews 10 verse 14 we read, For by one offering, the offering of himself, he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. What that means is this, that if you've put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are saved forever. You have salvation that cannot diminish because he has offered himself as the last offering. For sin. Its existence is forever. So the key theme there is forever. Forever. I didn't plan with this, the person that put together this uh, uh, January outline, but I noticed coming in that it says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and for how long? Forever. It doesn't change. People change, circumstances change. I'm sure you are praying that the weather will improve so it will get warmer, so it can change. But the Lord Jesus Christ remains the same forever. He changes circumstances, but he himself doesn't change. He can't get better than who he is because he's already holy. His power doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. So, remember we're answering the question, why Jesus and not someone else? Because his throne is forever. His priesthood is forever, his sacrifice is forever, and his existence is forever. So we can hang on to him as the only one that is worthy of being hung on to. Now how do we respond to this? Hebrews 13 tells us how to respond. It says, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, walking in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. And I'd like you to read with me what is up there. The Hebrews chapter 13 verse 22. You can read together. To whom? Thank you. Wonderful. And so he's worthy of praise. He's worthy of being glorified for how long? Forever. I heard something about glory this morning. To whom be glory forever and ever. I like to sing. So I picked this one. We worship thee, all glorious Lord and then, be unto your name, came to my mind. I wonder which one we should sing. If you are for be unto your name, which one? All right, I will make the choice. Let's go with the one that is on the, on the, on the platform there. We worship the all-glorious Lord. Standing as you are able, let's sing together. And it's important when we sing to just pay attention to the words and let your heart and your mind focus on the Lord Jesus Christ because he's the all-glorious one. (laughs) Thou <laughs> son of God. be seated. So Jesus is the eternal God. That's why it's him. And I made a second point that he is the all-sufficient God. Revelation 22, verse 12 and 13, verse 13 says, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. So my advice to you in the new year is that you should anchor your life to him who is the eternal God. He doesn't change. Every other thing, every other person, every other circumstance changes. But the Lord Jesus Christ is the same, yesterday, today, and forever. All right. So, point number two is also the all sufficient God. So, let's read that passage again. Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first. and the last. So all that you need is found in alpha and omega. It's sufficient for our spiritual needs and also our physical needs. That's why we can lean or hang on to him. Now, I'd like to take you again to the scriptures. And we go to the book of Colossians. I'm giving you hints on the books that you should study. Colossians. There's a word there that appears at least 32 times. And the word is what? All. All. When you say all, all means what? All. Or it can be all minus one, all minus two. It means all. Some things are said about the Lord Jesus Christ in the book of Colossians. That cannot be said about any other person. It's so exclusive that he has all of them, so no one can have any, there's nothing left for any other person. So let's see a few of this. The Lord Jesus created and owns all things. For by him were all things created, we read, that are in heaven and that are in earth visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. That means you exist for him. You might not live that way or think that way, but that's the way it is. You were created by him. So he's the creator of all things and the owner of all things. Jesus is before all things and sustains all things. That will include you and me. Colossians 1.17, he says, and he's before all things and by him all things Consist. The smallest thing, the biggest thing. So keep your eyes on the word all or the phrase all. All, all. It's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. He is above all things. I hate to say it, the kings of the world, the premiers, prime ministers, the presidents, the rulers, they're all beneath the Lord Jesus. He is above all things. Think of the richest man in the world or the man that is highly worshipped. All of them included. None can be compared to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we can hang our lives on him. Jesus has all the fullness of God. He says, "For it pleased the Father that in him all fullness dwell. Wisdom. Colossians 2 verse three. He says, "In him dwells or oh, hid all the treasures." All the treasures, nothing is left, all of wisdom and knowledge. Great professors, great minds, great philosophers, uh, sorry to disappoint you. The measure of wisdom or knowledge that they have is only as the Lord gives them. The Lord Jesus has all wisdom and knowledge. And... He's God. We've already said that, but let's repeat. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. See, I'm emphasizing scriptures because God's word is quick, is powerful, His spirit, is life. It's supposed to at least see who he is so that you might focus on him. What does this mean to us? He's all of that. What does it mean to you and to me? Colossians doesn't leave us guessing. In Jesus, we lack nothing. He says, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. If you're a child of God and you've put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you lack nothing. You have the best that the world has to offer. The Lord Jesus Christ. You are complete in him. You may not have cash. You may not have uh, big houses. You may not have whatever other things you think is important. But once you have the Lord Jesus Christ, you lack nothing. Because you have the eternal God. What else does it mean? Therefore, it says this. Colossians tells us. He says, don't let anybody delude you with persuasive arguments. Don't let anybody take you captive with philosophy or empty deception. And he says, don't let anyone judge you with regard to certain rituals. Because in Christ Jesus, you are complete. He's the all-sufficient God that we need to live life abundantly. So what else does it mean? In Christ Jesus all our needs are and will be met. As we move into the new year, you have to keep him at the forefront of your mind. He's the one that meets all needs. This is another scripture that I want you to remember and I know the context of this scripture so I'll probably just give you the context very briefly. The context of this scripture is the double portion message that was given at the end of last year. That means double portion in ministry, in serving, in giving your life. It says, and God is able to make all grace, all grace abound towards you, that you always, having all sufficiency, in all things may abound to every good work. I'd like you to say to yourself, God is able to make all grace abound towards me. That I will have all the grace and all sufficiency in all things so that I might abound in good works. Well, if you don't like the way the NKJV puts it, you can go with the NIV. He says this, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. He's able to do it, and he will do it. You need to lean on him and trust him. So that's what it means. Um, I think sometimes the thing sounds like uh, you need examples to be able to at least help you grasp what he's able to do. I remember as a student in college, this passage, this, this uh, Luke chapter eight from verse 22 to f- 56 was always a passage that I went to because there were diverse needs. And diverse circumstances and diverse people that encountered Jesus and their lives were transformed. Now you can read the entire passage because I don't have time to read, but I will highlight what happened. The disciples were in a storm one day and the Lord Jesus was sleeping. And they came screaming, shouting, we are perishing, get up, help us. And he spoke to the storm and the storm became quiet. And then they say, oh, what manner of man is this, that even the storms and the winds, they obey him. The Lord Jesus is the all-sufficient God. He made them in their storm, and he can meet you in your storm. In Luke chapter 8, there was a man that was tormented by demons for many years. He didn't even speak to the Lord, but the Lord encountered him. And his life was never the same. He was, the demons left and fled at the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Luke chapter 8, there was a woman that had bleeding for 12 years, spent all her resources with doctors. There was no help. But when she encountered the Lord, her life was not the same. And during that process, there was a synagogue uh, uh, leader, whose daughter was dead, a 12-year-old daughter dead. And then they told the man, he's hopeless, don't trouble the master. And Jesus looked at him and said, don't fear, only believe. And of course, you know what happened when he got there, brought the girl back to life. This is the all-sufficient God we are talking about, and so we can't limit him. We can't let our circumstance or situation or the way we think, we can't place him in the box. He said he's limited by this experience. No, he can meet you at the level of your needs. And our needs are different. We all have different needs and the Lord is able to meet. That's why you need to anchor your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes (laughs) it's easy to skip from incarnation to the cross. And then say, well, incarnation is great. The cross is wonderful. But there's a reason why the gospel tells us all of these things about the Lord Jesus Christ. To help us see that he is the all-sufficient one that can meet all physical needs and all spiritual needs. So these things are written to help us so that we might lift up our eyes to the one who is able. Time is going. What does this mean to us? It means he will meet all of our needs. Here we see Paul. He had a need. A unique need. He calls it a thorn in the flesh. Those who study Greek can debate and read about it. And then argue about it. What it means doesn't mean. All that it meant is that it was a problem for Paul. And what did he do? He said, for this thing I besought the Lord. Three times I picture a man who is in agony or who is in pain saying, Lord, this is getting heavy on me. Take it away. And pleading, and nothing happened. And I picture a man going back to the Lord saying, Lord, it's weighing heavily on me. Please take it away. And it seemed as if nothing happened. He didn't give up and said, Oh, I don't know if God is actually going to take it. I picture him going back again, saying, Lord, it's weighing heavily on me. Please take it away. The only time he stopped was when the Lord said, no, I'm not taking it away, but I'm going to give you the grace that you need. And so he says, for this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me, and he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. And so he rested his case in the fact that the God of heaven will give him grace for his turn in the flesh. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you. So that always having all sufficiency in all things. What's the point of this? The Lord doesn't always take away the burden, but He always gives the grace to bear the load. But we must go to the Lord. We must not assume that he will not take away the burden. Now, I need to fly because time is going. I thought PowerPoint make you fast. (laughs) Jesus is the all-sufficient God. Now, I have two more examples from the scriptures and then we are done. In this instant, the disciples had a need. The Lord Jesus had just finished performing a miracle. And so they were in the boat while he was praying. And uh, as they were in the boat, a long distance from the land, he said they were battered by the waves for the wind was contrary. They were in the will of God, but there were waves and storms. In the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Now, I don't know (laughs) what your storm is, but keep this in mind. In the fourth hour, the darkest moment, the Lord Jesus walked on the storm towards the disciple. When you are in your storm, whatever that might be, he's not walking away from you is walking towards you and it will help you to be able to have your storm settled and of course if we keep going in this passage we see that Peter when the Lord said I'm the one Peter said oh if it's you ask me to come and the Lord said what come and Peter did something that no other person has done I'm not sure anybody else has done this he didn't have a um, life jacket or life boots or whatever you call it. He stepped out and began to walk on water. And he was walking towards the Lord, looking unto Jesus. There were waves and there were storms. But then he took his eyes off the Lord and noticed that there were waves and storms. And what happened? He began to sink. We do that sometimes. We take our eyes off the Lord and we look at the waves and the storm and we sink. But he did something else that was even more marvelous. He screamed, Lord, help me. So when you find yourself taking your eyes off the Lord and you're sinking, it's good to remember that he still answers prayers. It's good to remember that you can scream to him in your circumstance and ask for help. He doesn't leave you because he said, ah, it's your fault. You took your eyes off me. You should have kept your eyes on me. No. He, when Peter screamed, Lord, help me, he straight out his hand and he helped him. So Jesus is the all-sufficient God. That's why we have scriptures to remind us that there is no other person like the Lord Jesus Christ so we can lean and look to him. Finally, there's one more point. See, I have the scriptures and I'm not reading them, but you can read them. Here I find a church in need. And what happened that the church was moving very quickly and making progress. And then Herod decided it was time to put an end to this movement. So he stretched out his hand and killed one of the apostles, James by name. But notice... And then he saw that the people were happy with what he did. And so what did he do next? He grabbed Peter and then he put him in prison. But I want you to notice that verse that I've highlighted, verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison. The plan was we will bring him out and also kill him and we'll make the people happy. He says, so Peter was kept in prison, but, but, I like the word but, but prayer For him was being met fervently by the church to God. In fact, some translation says without ceasing. So they prayed. It's almost like, oh, we've lost James and now we are going to lose Peter. God, this is not good. We are fearful. Please intervene. Was made fervently. I investigated a prayer meeting where people were coming together and praying for Peter that God will intervene. And the day, the night before Herod's activity, God sent his angel and released Peter. And when Peter was released, you can read all of that there on your scriptures. He, he was going to where they were meeting to pray. So he went, walked down to where they were praying. And then went to the door where they are staying inside and praying. And then Peter knocked. He said, open for me. And then a the little girl went. He said, ah, that's Peter, that's Peter. So he ran down and told them, Peter is outside, Peter is outside. They said, what? It's his angel. But they were never praying for his angel. They were praying for Peter. So, Peter kept knocking. And then the girl went, they said, You must be deluded. You are beside yourself. You don't know what you are saying. Of course, when they finally opened the door, Peter came in because God had intervened. You know, friends, we are prone to limit God in what he can do. Sometimes we pray without expecting that God will do something. But in spite of our lack of expectation, He thus do something. That's why we keep praying. Of course they prayed. They were probably praying, God, maybe tomorrow Herod will release him. Let him not kill Peter, please. But God overstepped Herod. Sent his angel, released Peter. Jesus is the all-sufficient God. Now, I've given all these spectrums in terms of events, circumstance, and activities so that we don't limit God to, and place him in a box in any circumstance. It's more than sufficient and more than enough to meet our need. That's why I say, why Jesus? Because he's the all-sufficient God. You can read through that and see for yourself. I'm almost done. Nice. Why anchor our lives on the Lord Jesus? Because he's the eternal God. Is the all-sufficient God? Let us run with endurance in the new year. The race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and the first and the last. That's what Jesus says. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you so that you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. I've changed it from Happy New Year to have a grace-filled New Year. So can we sing together, if you don't mind, be unto your name. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the privilege to look into your word. We ask that you help us to fix our eyes on you because you are the all-sufficient one. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name.